0: I want to welcome everybody that's here maybe for the very first time. I want to welcome you if you're online with us or if you're new here in the room. We're, we're so honored to have you. Uh, if you're newer, we're kind of like at the tail end of this really long series. It's kind of a series we've been doing all summer, but I've got to be honest with you, I have not been tired of it one bit. So maybe some of you are ready for a new one, but I, I, we've been talking about this movement that you're sitting in. It's actually you're, you're sitting in it. Not, not the building, but what we are, which is the church. And how Jesus, before he left to go back to the Father, he said, I'm gonna build my church and nothing will stop it. And you know what's cool? 2,000 years later, that also means a church in Canal Winchester that you and I are a part of today. And I believe that no matter what we face in this world, that's what, by the way, we got new shirts. Make sure you get it before they're out. We won't stop. That's not about our church specifically, it's about the church of Jesus. It is unstoppable. And I'm excited to to be part of that, and so if you're joining us, we've kind of been journeying in our Bibles through the book of Acts for this entire summer, skipping some chapters, but hopefully you're getting kind of the main idea through the book of Acts. It's the story of the first church and how it got started that we're an extension of. And when I, when I think about the book of Acts, I kind of split it into two halves. The first half of the book of Acts kind of follows Jesus' disciples as the church gets started. The second half of the book of Acts really follows a guy named Paul. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at his journey as a guy who actually wanted to stop the church, found out you can't stop what Jesus said is unstoppable, decided to get on the side of the church rather than being roadkill, and then... God ended up using Paul to travel all around and start churches, okay, an extension of it. And what you follow is the latter half of the book of Acts really follows his many missionary journeys. He would take three missionary journeys all through the Mediterranean Rim planting churches. He got to go to some of the most amazing places you could ever imagine going. We've been talking about some of them throughout the summer. Now, there was one place, though, There was one city that Paul wanted desperately to go to. Uh, He had met some people from there that had kind of, they found out there's a movement of Jesus followers in the city. He wanted to go to this city, and it was a place that was the top of his bucket list. He would talk about all the time, and it was the city of Rome. That was at the top of his bucket list. Made me think, what's at the top of my bucket list? Have you ever kind of thought about, like, if there is one place that I could go, money does not matter, where would that be? Do you have a place at the top of your bucket list? You have one? In fact, do me a favor. On the count of three, I just want you to yell your bucket list place out loud. One, two, three. Okay. I I, Sorry, I didn't make that out. I I really thought I was going to be able to get that. I think I've heard people say Paris. I mean, that would be pretty awesome. If you've never been to Paris, you should go to Paris, it's awesome. Um, You know, I, I don't know, maybe for some of you, it's Bora Bora, hello, I could, you know, by the way, Fiji, Bora Bora, those are the beautiful tropical paradise where you see a little hut out in the middle of that light blue water and you say, I could picture myself there. That's like Bora Bora, okay, that'd be awesome. Maybe for some of you, it's Israel. If You've never been to Israel, that should be at the top of your bucket list, it's incredible. But for Paul, his, well, which one? Okay, yeah, Pastor Russ wants to go to Arkansas. So if anybody wants a road trip, just hit him up. That is, I thought Arkansas was the armpit of America. Anyway, so I'm sorry if you're from Arkansas or Kansas. Um, Paul wanted to go to Rome. Now let me just, if you have never been, now I'll make you jealous, I've been to Rome. Okay, Rome is an incredible city. If you ever get a chance to go to Rome, let me tell you, You should go. Okay, not only is it historical, it's amazing, but the art and the architecture in Rome is absolutely incredible. I've seen the Colosseum, what's left of it. It's just powerful when you think about the story of the church and how it was impacted in the city of Rome. I also got to go to the Sistine Chapel. I don't know if any of you ever get a chance to go there. It's incredible, the art that's on there. And I got a little little funny story. I was a teenager at the time, and we were about to go into the Sistine Chapel, and they made sure, and they had signs, they would tell you that you are not allowed to take pictures or video inside the Sistine Chapel, that it was forbidden, you could not do it. Um, Okay, I usually think rules are meant to be bent more than broken, but I, I, so I'm a teenager, and I'm in there, and I'm in the Sistine Chapel. If you ever get a chance to go in, it's kind of dark, at least it was then, and you're up there, and you're looking, and you're seeing these epic, paintings of Adam and his finger stretched out toward God and like it's like you're like I I have got to capture this moment so this is pre-smartphone pre-iPhone with amazing lenses and all that stuff so I got out my little digital camera and I made sure to uh, turn off the flash And, and and so I just kind of walked around with it at my hip and went pointed it up at this just took all these pictures I was so excited by God like you know I got out no one caught me you know the police the Vatican police they didn't get me I'm like this is awesome I get out of the place and I pull it up and I look in the digital camera on the back every single picture was black it was so dark in there it didn't work I thought this place is cursed they they're on you cannot take pictures of it that's I tried, okay? If you ever get a chance to go there, you have to go though. It's an incredible city. And Paul says over and over, you can see in the book of Acts, in the book of Corinthians, I want to go to Rome. Now, little does Paul know that Paul is about to get a free ticket to Rome. How many of you would go if you could get a free ticket to Rome? Raise your hand if you get a free ticket. Yeah, okay, Paul is about to get a free ticket to Rome. What Paul didn't know, what his free ticket was because he wouldn't be free. Now now let me explain this to you, because i gotta, I got to catch you up on a bunch of context here, okay? So in Acts 21, Paul gets back from his third missionary journey. This is where he's traveling all over the place. He gets all the way over to Athens and Corinth and all these places that he wants to, you know, he's real close to Rome, but he doesn't get to go there. And on his way back to Jerusalem, he's gonna stop, the last place he's gonna stop. He goes back to Jerusalem, he's excited, he's gonna catch up with Peter, he's gonna catch up with the disciples, he's gonna, he wants to go and have an opportunity to encourage all of his fellow Jewish men and women, okay? And when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he decides that he's going to follow these very strict Jewish customs. Okay, that he was gonna go to the temple and that he was gonna do a purification process. He didn't have to for his faith, but he said, you know what, I'm gonna do that. I want them all to know that I care about them. And, play, you know? and so he goes into the temple the very next day after arriving in Jerusalem. And he's in there by himself and he's gonna do all this and he's paying some money and doing all these things. When the religious leaders that are there, they, they see him and they lose their minds. Okay, they already had it out for Paul because Paul used to be one of them. He turned on them. And so in a moment, unexpected, this massive mob scene as they basically yell that this guy was a traitor and brought a Gentile, you couldn't do that, into the temple and the huge mob scene, they drag him out of the temple. It causes such a stir that the Roman guards come down and they arrest Paul. Now, Now, Paul didn't do anything wrong. He actually did not do what they said he did, but this was an opportunity for them to get at Paul. And so Paul gets arrested, and the soldiers do what the soldiers do. They're like, Well, everybody hates you. You must have done something really bad. And they're about to kind of beat Paul into submission. And Paul looks at him and he says, Are you really going to beat a Roman citizen? And they're like, Oh, oh we, we didn't know you were a Roman citizen. I mean, they're all the way over here in Jerusalem. We had no Paul was actually a Roman citizen. And so um, that saves Paul from getting beat. And Paul ends up. Listen, Paul ends up becoming a prisoner, and he says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, that was a right if you are a Roman citizen, that I want to appeal to the court of Caesar if I think this is unfair treatment. And so what Paul earns in that moment is an all-expense-paid one-way ticket on the Norwegian cruise line through the Mediterranean to Rome. I don't even know if Norwegian cruise line is in the Mediterranean, but this is what Paul earned. So we're going to pick up this story. If you got your Bible, Acts chapter 27. We're nearing the very end of the book of Acts. Go ahead and get out your Bible or electronic device. Acts chapter 27. I'll give you just a synopsis of the first few verses. Paul gets handed over to a Roman centurion. They get ready to board a ship to make sail, and Paul kind of sees that, hey guys, he tells them, he says, um, God's kind of spoken to me, and this trip is not going to go well. And Instead of listening to Paul, they listen to the pilot, and they kind of take off, and then they get into some rough weather, and then they have to port, and it's not working very well. That's what we're going to pick up, verse 13 today. Acts 27, verse 13. It says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of the small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Surtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along." We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging and we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, I want to just paint a picture for you of Paul I want you to think of his mindset for a moment and and what he must have been feeling in this moment, okay? Now remember this, Paul is someone who has literally given his life to going on the road as a missionary to serve God. I mean, he could stay home like all the rest of them. You know, uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he had a wife. He's living in Jerusalem. No, Paul gives all that up to travel around, to start churches, okay? As Paul's doing that, you read through the book of Acts, okay, he is attacked more times than you could ever imagine. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. Other times, he was stoned. Not, You know what I mean. They threw rocks at him, this whole thing. All this stuff happens to Paul while he's serving God finally gets back from a missionary journey that takes years. He lands in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple the next day and does something he does not even have to do for his faith and what he believes, but he does it for other people so he can have an opportunity to be able to encourage the Jews with the gospel, and when he does that, then all of a sudden somebody falsely accuses him of something. He gets arrested. He gets sent to trial. What I didn't tell you was that the Jews actually had a plot to kill him, so then he was shipped off to Caesarea, where he gave, uh, where he stood trial before the governor and before a king and they said, well, we don't see anything wrong with Paul, but because they wanted to like please the Jews, they didn't let Paul out of prison. He spent a couple years in prison before a new governor comes to town and says, okay, you wanted to go to Caesar's court. Finally, you're going to Caesar's court. This is years, years go by. Paul's in prison, did nothing wrong. Now he's being handed over to sail to Rome. This is not how Paul anticipated going to Rome. He said, I wanna go to Rome. This was not how Paul planned to go to Rome. Not in shackles, not in chains. And then they get on a ship to take a nice, smooth, sunny cruise through the Mediterranean and get hit with a massive storm of hurricane force. It's so bad, like everybody thinks they're going to die. Now, if I were Paul at this point, just think about it, be real, right? I would probably be saying, Really, God? Wouldn't you? I'm serving you. I'm, I'm trying to I'm doing all of this for you, God. And and now I'm going to Rome. And now a hurricane on the ship. Now, why why is this important? Because I think as we look at Paul's life and his story, I think a lot of us need to reconcile something with what our faith is built on. Because a lot of us have this idea. A lot of us have been told, and this is our idea, that when God is with us, life will get better. When God is with you, life will be smoother. When God is with you, and we sing songs, if God is on your side, who will come against you? Oh, Paul said there's a lot that's gonna come against you. See, we have this idea that when we're doing the right things, that the right things will happen to us. Hello? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like some of you know, I'm trying my best, I'm serving God, I'm giving, I'm doing everything I can, but have any of you ever felt like no matter what you did, everything was stacked against you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had a season or a situation in your life where no matter what you tried to do, it just felt like bad news after bad news after bad news, and after a while, you start saying, really, God, this is what, this is what I get after all I, I'm doing for you? I don't know if you ever felt like that, but can I just tell you in our household, that's kind of what we felt over the summer, particularly my wife. Now, back at the end of May, my wife and I both got COVID. And uh my my experience was different than hers. Of course, she's immunosuppressed, and and my wife got COVID, and we both did at the end of May. And uh she ended up, I mean, I a couple days and and Thankfully, I, I recovered quickly, but she ended up for days, I mean, 10, 11 days straight. She's having fevers all day, every day. Nothing will take them away. Chills, body aches. I mean, just felt miserable. I don't know if you ever felt miserable, but going two weeks, some of you have experienced it. It's pretty awful. Well, finally, we thought she was kicking it. She finally started to, okay, well, hey, she stopped having fevers. She's not having the body aches. She was just worn out, exhausted, tired. But we're like, okay, this is great. That lasted six days. Guess what? Fevers came back. Chills came back another 14 days. I don't know if you've ever been sick for like a month straight, month and a half, but I'm telling you, she was at the end of her robe. I remember she said to me one day, she said, please, take me out back, shoot me, and bury me in a hole. Now, she did not mean that, so don't freak out, okay? But that's just... I'm just saying, have you ever felt like that? Like she, and, and by the way, it's been one, elevated heart rate, her heart rate's been double and triple doing nothing, pain down her arm. She now has nerve pain. She 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 came to me the other day because she has an, an appointment. She's, we've, she's gone to the ER a couple of times. We've had almost every you know test you can imagine because of all the complications. It, I mean, we're going on three months now. She has an MRI this coming week and all this stuff. She said to me, she said, hey, Um, I just just, uh, talked to the insurance company. She said, I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want first? I'm the kind of person, bad news. Yeah, 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 give me the bad news because I want something good to wait for, you know. And so she said, well, here's the bad news. The bad news is that we've met our maximum out of pocket for the year. I was like, oh. I said, what's the good news? She said, the good news is the MRI is gonna be free. I was like, that's one way of looking at it. Some of you know what it's like to feel like you're constantly running into headwind. It's a constant some of you know where you you're watching your loved one who is battling a mental illness and you know it is you can't do anything about it and you just after a while you just you give up hope. Or some of you maybe you you've lost hope for your marriage because it's not been weeks that it's been bad, but it's been months, or maybe it's been years, and you don't see it turning around. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I imagine that right now many of you, if you, some of you would think about your situation that you feel like that. And, and we've tried everything that we can, and we've prayed every prayer that we can, but it just doesn't seem to be getting better. It makes me think of, of what they did. You see, they tried everything they could in their power. They, they would take and pass ropes underneath of the ship so they could try to hold it together so maybe it wouldn't break apart. Some of you know what that's like where you've kind of, you've, you're trying everything you can to keep your life together and hope that the storm doesn't sink you. They, they, they got to a point where they were so desperate they needed to lighten the ship that they threw all the cargo overboard, lost it all. The cargo. Now, that's what you carry when you're transporting so that you can make money to pay for your vessel. Some of you know what that's like where you've lost income, but you know what? They threw the cargo overboard because it didn't matter at that point. And then they throw their tackle overboard, which means they're totally desperate. They're getting rid of anything and everything short of the people so that hopefully they can stay afloat. Sometimes you'll do everything that you can and it's still not enough. I know a lot of you felt that way. You know what's interesting about being in storms because we hate them so much and we wonder what's going on and God, where are you? You know, it's the bad news and the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that I found that storms tend to reset your priorities. You know, I don't, I don't like that, but storms will reset your priority. You say, we don't care about this cargo anymore. You know, some of you know exactly what it's like where you get to a place where you're saying, I don't care about the stuff anymore. I quit caring about, you know, I was hoping that I'd get promoted in this job. I just want to feel well again. Some of you know what that's like. When you get so desperate and it realigns your priorities and all the things that when I hoped we were going to own this and buy this, you start battling with cancer, guess what? You won't care about that. All I want to do is see my kids. All I want to do is feel the presence of God because storms will always reset your priorities and it says that they they went for days and it was so dark that they lost hope. Verse 20 says they didn't see the sun or the stars for days so much so that they gave up all hope of being saved. You know, I, I really have thought about what it's like when we're in the middle of storms and I realize that it's, we don't lose our hope because we lose our stuff because we, we lose out on income, or we lose out. We lose our hope when we lose our way. See, it said that, that it, was, it was stormy, it was so dark and imagine this, days go by and they see neither the sun nor the stars. Now, why was it so important for them to see the sun and the stars? Here's why. Because those are the very constants in their world when they were sailing that would actually help direct them to their intended destination. During the day, they plot their course by the sun. They know the sun comes up in the east and it sets in the west. So we can at least plot our course because we want to get to our intended destination. And at night, guess what? They use the Stars, and they chart their way in the stars. And here's what I've discovered: storms don't cause us to lose hope; they cause us to lose our way. Because I can—I don't know—I feel like I, I feel like I can handle some hard stuff. I'm not saying I like it, and I know some of you really well, and I've seen some of you go through some stuff that just shows me that the human spirit is incredibly resilient. There's something about the human spirit that has an ability to say, I am going through something awful, but I can can make it through. I I know that you and I have faced difficulty in our life and we're not done. And I can promise you this, you're gonna face it again. And you know what? I can handle some pain and I can handle some challenge. Do you know what we can't handle? It's when we get lost in the middle of it and we can't see our way through it. That's when we begin to lose hope. When it's like, God, I... What I'm saying is that some of you felt like you were following God. You could see the course. Maybe you could even see in your mind's eye what your life would be. and I pictured our family would look like this by now, and I figured that my career would look like this by now, and I figured that my ministry would look like this by now, but, but then storms and winds come, and it gets so dark that you can't see your way out. And it's in those moments, here's what, Here's what we really ask in our, in our spirit, in our faith. It's those moments we wonder why God is not with us. When life gets dark and you lose hope, what it really means, and some of you know this, is I started to question, where is God? I can't see God. God, have you left me? Even if you grew up with a faith that you felt was like, I was strong, you have enough trouble, you go through enough things like Paul did, and then you face a hurricane, you might get to a point where you're saying, I can't see you, God. Where is he? It's been days, and it's been weeks, it's been months. I can't see you in this moment. Can I just tell you something? Even though they could not see the sun and they could not see the stars, can I ask you a question? Were they still there? Yeah. Can I tell you this? even when you look at your circumstance your situation and you don't see God, can I tell you something? He's still there. I know you can't see him, but I want you to know something. He's still there. And Paul knew this because Paul experienced God in the middle of the storm. In fact, I wanna read this for you, verse 21. No, yeah, verse 21. I want you to see what happened to Paul because this is life-changing. If we can have this in the middle of any storm you're facing, It says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, men, you should have taken my advice. That's funny. That's something a lot of you ladies have said to your husband. Men, you should have taken my advice, not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. What did Paul say happened? Say it out loud. He stood beside me. And here's what he said. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Look at this, verse 25. So do what, Paul? So keep up your courage. Say it again out loud. So keep up your courage, men, For I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. What I'm trying to say today is this. If you have an expectation, if your faith has an expectation that God is going to keep you from facing adversity and struggle and storms in your life. Can I just say this? You do not have a faith that will hold you up in the face of reality. If your mindset, your framework is that God will keep you, come on, if you just trust in God, if you just believe in God, that it will keep you, that he will keep you from facing trouble, adversity, from dealing with injustice, from dealing with this, then can I just tell you, you do not have the kind of foundation that Jesus talked about when he said, you build your house on a rock. You, you have a faulty foundation. Maybe somebody told you that. Maybe somebody sold you something. Maybe somebody said, Oh, your life is bad? Come to Jesus. Your life will be beautiful. It'll be sunny skies. It'll be smooth sailing. No, no, no. That's not true. Let me say it this way Um, God never promised you or me a life free of trouble, He never did and what most of us are doing and what all of the people on the ship were doing is they're looking to these external things for hope oh if I don't see the sun we can't get there oh if I don't see this and we can't get there we're looking at these things Paul didn't need that in order for him to have the faith and the courage to stand up in the middle of the storm because what Paul had was not outside of them but what Paul had was with him on the inside is the presence of God who came and said God came and stood with me in the middle of the storm. You see, most of us, when we think about having God in our lives, and when we pray for God to do something, most of us want to see the hand of God. God heal. God provide. God rescue. God change. What very few, and myself included, ever pray for is the presence of God. God change this, fix this, get me out of this, heal this. Can I just tell you sometimes what God does is not answer the prayer of fixing this and changing this the way we want him to, but what God does promise is that he'll meet you in the middle. I think about Old Testament stories and Sunday school stories. I grew up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they are. They, they're just trying to serve God. And they're like, if you don't bow down before this golden image, then you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And we will not bow down because there's only one God. We're going to worship him. God didn't show up and keep them from the fire. He showed up in the fire. Daniel's just trying to honor God. I'm just going to pray anyways. Guess what? God didn't keep Daniel from the lion's den. He showed up in the lion's den with him. What I'm trying to say is most of us have a faith where we say like, okay, God, if you're real, keep me from the storms, keep me from the trial, keep me from the season, but God never promised that he would keep us from it. I think about what Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm not gonna sell you something, guys, that's not real. He said, you're gonna face adversity. You will have trouble. And then he said this, and it was the encouraging part. That's the bad news. Here's the good news, right? He said, but I have overcome the world so you can keep your courage, so you can be of good cheer, so that you can hold on to your faith. Listen, that doesn't mean that you won't face that. It just means that Jesus defeated death. And that no matter what we go through, we can have hope for something beyond. I wish in every situation as a pastor praying for people Looking at people as they're, they're watching a loved one die of a disease and watching a, a family member fight for their life and pray for them. I wish I could say, God's going to heal every single time. And I pray and I ask, and I, but I know this that God has not promised us a life free of pain in this world. But if we'll follow Him, He, he promises us a life beyond it that is better. And, and and I think this is where we struggle with our faith. I know for me, it's this intersection. It's the intersection of what I'm praying for. It's my intersection of my prayers that I believe God would want to answer. God doesn't want to see people suffer. It's my intersection of, of my prayer with God's sovereignty. That's a confusing intersection. I wish it was just a simple little four-way intersection with just a stoplight and you just go and then stop and go, but it feels more like eight lanes and I can't figure it out. We, we start to lose faith when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want him to answer it. Can I ask you a question like, what if God answered every single one of your prayers? I mean, how great would that be? My grandmother would be about 128 years old right now. She died when she was 97. Like, no one you love would ever die. Think about it. Some of you would be married to the wrong person if God answered every... I, I want you to think about this because I know, I know those are lighthearted and just funny, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of shine a spotlight on something in our faith that sometimes isn't built right? That, that if God doesn't answer every prayer that we pray the way we hope he answers it, that we start to doubt that God is even there or he's good? Can I tell you something? If God didn't answer every prayer Jesus prayed, why would we expect he'd answer every prayer we pray? Do you know God didn't answer every prayer Jesus prayed? There's at least one of them that I know of. There's a moment right before he's about to face the cross, right before he's about to go through some of the the worst storm that you could ever imagine. And though he was a a, a man, he was also divine. And so he had this intersection tension in him. So he knew what was coming, but yet he didn't want to face it. And so Jesus prayed a prayer like this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says that Jesus, he went a little further and he fell on his face. And he prayed this saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, isn't that funny? Wait, with God, all things are possible. Yeah, but oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what did he say? He said, not as I will, but as you will. What was Jesus praying? Here was his prayer. He said, isn't there another way, father? Is there another way that you could do all that you intend to do for humanity without me having to go through the pain of the cross to be whipped and beaten and spat upon and to receive a crown of thorns and to be nailed to a tree? If there is any other way, come on, God, you've made all this. You could do it any other way. Come on, couldn't you ch- If there is any other way, God, I don't wanna go through this. But then I want you to notice something. Jesus left some room in his prayer to submit to the will of God if it did not align with his prayer. What did he say? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know, I've had some people um, think and say that if you pray and really believe, that you can, you know, it's kind of like, you just claim it, that God will do it only if you have pure faith. So, so there can't be any doubt. There can't be any room in there, otherwise you may not see the miracle. Can I, can I just tell you, I think the opposite is actually true. I actually look at what Jesus prayed in this moment and I actually think that the greatest level of faith from a human perspective in this prayer was not, hey God, if you're possible, if anything's possible, could you maybe do this? But maybe the greatest picture of faith was him saying to his father, nevertheless, if you've got a different purpose, if you have a different plan, then I submit to the sovereignty of God. Do you know how much faith it takes to pray that? That's faith. God, I want you to get me out of this, but nevertheless, it's not my will that matters. It's your, it's your will. Can I ask you a question? How often do your prayers have a nevertheless in them? Ooh, I'll, I'll go first, not very often. Most of my prayers are, God, I know you can, I need you to. There's no other option. God, I need, I need your provision in this area. God, we need your healing in this area. God, I need I need free of these thoughts and the depression. And the, the, These are the prayers. These are my prayers. I'm asking us today, is there any room in the middle of your storm and your prayer for a nevertheless? Is there any room in your theology for God to be sovereign? It, it's challenging because... Most of us think that God shows up when he heals, that God shows up when he does a miracle, that God shows up when he comes through. I I just wonder if, what if God's answer isn't I'm gonna heal you, but I'm going to use the sickness for a greater purpose. I'll tell you what, to be able to pray with that in your prayer, that takes faith, that takes trust. And I'm so grateful I am so grateful that Jesus had a nevertheless in his prayer. Because listen to me, his nevertheless was my good news. His nevertheless was your good news. What do I mean by that? When Jesus said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, Father, can I tell you what that was? That was Jesus saying, and that was Jesus submitting to the will of God, knowing that his nevertheless was gonna lead him to the cross. But if it weren't for the cross, I would not be able to have my sin paid for. When I think about the truth is that the gospel is connected to a nevertheless, that I'm grateful that it was his pain that enables me to find healing. It was his life and sacrifice that enables me to find freedom. I'm so grateful that Jesus had a nevertheless. I'm so grateful. I think about, um, I think about people that will, uh, they'll they'll, they'll say to you, um, I got good news and I got bad news. You'll hear that, trust me. I got good news and I got your spouse. I got good news and I got bad news. I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want first? And can I tell you um, that you'll never get good news and bad news with God? Listen to me. You'll only get great news or good news with God. I know it may not always look like it. Let me just tell you that. But I'm just saying, if we could get above the storm, If we could get above the clouds with our perspective today, if you could just lift your spirit above the situation that you're in, what I'm telling you is that when God gives news, it's great news and it's good news. I think about uh, Paul who who says, An angel appeared to me and he gave me some great news and some good news. I don't know if you caught it. I imagine this because Paul hears him sharing it with all the rest of them. Yeah, uh, I can imagine the angel saying, All right, Paul, I got great news and I got good news. Which one do you want first? Now, Paul is the eternal optimist. So Paul says, Give me the great news first. I want the great news. Then the angel says to him, I got great news, Paul. You're not going to die in this storm. Like, Woo, that's awesome. You are not going to die in this storm. Let me tell you why. great news because you get to stand before Caesar in trial whoa that's great news yeah here's the you're not gonna die and oh by the way because your presence is on the ship by the way I'm going to spare the lives of all the rest of the people here's the great news when Paul gives it to the people they said they want the great news great news you're not going to die in this storm that's great news yeah that's great news I imagine they're like, all right, all right. Well, what's the good news? I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you caught the good news. Paul gave him the good news in Acts 27, 26. If you didn't see it, underline it, write the good news next to it. In your Bible, you write it, Acts 27, 26. Here's what he told him. He said, nevertheless, what did he say? Say it out loud. He said, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. How is that good news? That sounds like bad news to me. I don't, I don't wanna go floating in the water. I don't know if there's sharks in the Mediterranean, but I don't wanna find out. I, how in the world is that good news? Can I just tell you something? For all the people on the ship, including Paul, it wasn't good news. I'm trying to help you see something. I'm trying to lift your perspective today. That's all I can do when it comes to storms because I can't solve your storm. And if you could solve your storm, you would have done it. And you've been praying and God hasn't done anything yet. But what if your nevertheless is someone else's good news? I'm trying to give you a new perspective. What if you're nevertheless in your prayer? God, would you heal nevertheless if you don't? God, would you use it? to bring good news some way, somehow. God, I'm waiting for you to show up. Nevertheless, until it happens, I'm trusting that you have a plan. What if your nevertheless and my nevertheless wasn't necessarily good news for us, but it was for someone else? Oh, by the way, it was definitely good news for the people of Malta. you are saying, what's Malta? That's the island they must run aground on. See, Paul had a destiny in Rome. God was taking him, but God was like, but I need to do something in Malta first, Paul. And so I'm gonna take the shipwreck that you're on, and because of your faith, I'm gonna bring all the people with you to the island of Malta. Guess what happened in Malta? Paul went on there. He began to pray for the sick, and they were healed. He began to share the gospel with them, the good news, and people began to accept Jesus on Malta. And listen... Most of the time when we read the Bible and we think about how does this apply to me and how does it apply to your life, let's be honest. We write ourselves in as the main character. All of you have been thinking this whole time, oh, my life has been like Paul's. I'm just on struggle after another, after another, and I feel like the ship that we're on might sink, and God, where are you? I understand that, but what I would ask today is what if you and I aren't Paul on the ship? What if we're people in Malta? What if the good news reached you, but it was maybe even through someone else's pain? What if the good news reached us because of Jesus's pain? See, I'm just trying to give you a new way to see your storm. Come on, stand up to your feet with me. We're gonna close in prayer. I wish, and this is the hard part sometimes of of pastoring in a broken world. I wish sometimes that I could just, every painful situation that I hear in our church and our community, I wish sometimes that I could just, I knew if I prayed, it would just, I wish I could fix it. And I can't. But what I can do, and what God was showing me in this, was that maybe it would encourage somebody to hold on in the middle of it. Maybe, maybe what Paul said to the people in the storm is what God sent me to say to some of you today. You've been discouraged. You haven't seen a way out. There hasn't been sun or stars for days or weeks or months or years and you're saying I have lost hope and maybe God sent me with this word to say to some of you today, what Paul said to those men, keep up the courage, keep it up, keep it up because I know that no matter what we go through, that God is here, God wants to stand beside you in the middle of it and God will use every painful thing we go through for his glory and somebody else's good good news. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but man, if you could receive that today. It might not silence the storm, but it might help you get above it just for a little bit in your spirit and to say, God, I trust you. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, Would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.